I'm Paola Bonadonna, and today I'm hanging out in the echoing, frescoed rooms of the Renaissance City Hall of Assisi in central Italy. I'm behind the scenes at the International Workshop on Productivity, Innovation and Intangible Investments, a conference organized by the Center for Research on Learning and Life Chances, LAICS, the UCL Institute of Education, the University of Perugia, and the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, NISA. I have here with me Jacob Madston of Monash University, Australia, who has just delivered his keynote speech, Back to the Past is Growth Reverting to Pre-Industrial Levels. So, Jacob, is it, and what can we do about it? We are certainly going to experience low growth, lower growth rates than we experienced in the 50s, 60s and 70s. We did have uh, a period where we had persistently high growth rates, so our welfare doubled almost within every decade. We had our income went up enormously, and uh, everybody gained from that. Now today, uh, the question comes, well, will it continue or will it store? And there's a lot of economists who are pushing the agenda that we're going to uh, experience very low growth in the future uh, because uh, all what we have been through is just transitional. It's not going to be permanent, uh, permanently affecting the growth. And that's definitely, that's one side of the story. And then to this side, we can add that people are pessimistic about the aging, their old age, population getting old are unproductive and so on and uh, um, uh, now no question growth will go down we're not going to get the high growth rate we experience however I'm not that negative about it uh, first to take the last thing about the old aging of the population well I don't believe it's going to drag the economy down well, old people can stay longer in the labor force today that they could in the past, partly because they are more educated, and when they're more educated, um, the cognitive ability uh, stays pretty high. They can keep on going for many years. They're not physically, uh, 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 physically unable to do the work uh, as was the key issue in the past. Now, another issue is that um, we get an increasing cohort of uh, females educate who wants to join the labor market, whereas those in the 60s are pushed out with low labor force participation rates. So you will experience more people joining the labor force, they're more educated. Um, so I cannot see any big disadvantage of having these, uh, of, of having these demographics. And I think it's completely misplaced that we need to you know, promote birth, more kids. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever to me. We're living in a planet where uh, we have far too many people that's destroying the world. You would rather see more women in the workplace and able to work for longer and go further Absolutely. and be more productive. Absolutely, and that's the trend we're seeing. So that's one thing I see as uh, uh, not being a problem in the future, the problem that uh, we're getting all on. So I don't think it's a big problem. Um, Another issue is what, why I'm not negative is that I believe that innovations will continue to promote growth. Now, what is important is that the only way you can in the long run uh, 
promote growth is to increase the quality of the products you make. Mm-hmm. You can produce 10 bricks an hour as opposed to 2 bricks an hour. And that can only be promoted by uh, research and development. Mm-hmm. You can see solar panels. They're so cost-effective today that all is just becoming a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And, and that's increasing productivity. It's making energy cheaper. And it is at the same time making us richer. So, so um, that's the future I see today. I'm now joined by Rebecca Riley of NISA, who is also the director of the Economic Statistics Center of Excellence. So, Rebecca, can you help us understand a little bit better what drives growth today? I mean, economists, when, when looking at uh, economic growth, um, we always look at standard factors of production. So, basically, labor capital, um, technology has always been an important driver of growth. I guess uh, in recent decades, economists have focused more on on these knowledge assets as um, specific drivers of growth and recognizing that these are also important. So, for example, uh, we've taken into account, or we try to take into account uh, in explaining growth, the quality of the workforce and how skilled is the workforce. Um, There's also recognition that firms use a lot of what we call intangible assets to create value as well. And these are um, things like branding, uh, management matters, uh, things like R&D and technology matter, uh, software systems, database, information basically. Firms combine all of these things to to generate growth and that's what we're trying to explore. Um, I guess one of the key stumbling blocks in exploring these things is, is a lack of data, coherent data. There has actually been quite a lot of progress in this area in the last 10 years or so. So um, there have been a, a many initiatives to develop uh, information on these types of um, factors of production um, at the country level. So you know, so they can compare uh, things across countries, um, also at the level of the industry. Um, so again, an, an industry and cross-country, uh, so that you can try and understand differences in growth between different countries or different industries. Um, where we've maybe had less uh, innovation is uh, at the level of the firm, and, and uh, so we, we have where we have you know databases where we can look at a series of knowledge assets for a particular country or a particular industry. We typically don't have that. Uh, richness at the level of, of the firm. So that's what we're trying to look at. And, and of course, it's, um, it's important to have these data at the level of the firm because, you know, we have within an industry, for example, you can have uh, some firms who are clearly doing are very high performers, and then you might have uh, another set of firms who are maybe less so. So, you know, with these types of data, we can start to try and understand why that is. Next, I get to speak to Jeff Mason from the UCL Institute of Education and from NISA, the National Institute. Jeff has just presented a paper to the conference about what skills contribute most to innovation and productivity performance. So we're focusing on skills in this paper. And and when it comes to innovation performance, everybody is aware of the importance of high-level skills, um, professional engineers and scientists, and and there's a tendency to think that other types of skills don't matter. In our paper, we, we look at the absorptive capacity of firms and industries. Now, what we mean by absorptive capacity is the ability to make use of 
external knowledge to, to, the, to the firm that you work for. And, and it takes, in a way, even if you're just trying to imitate good ideas or, new, or bring in new technologies that other people have developed, you actually have to be engaged in innovative activity yourself to do that successfully. It's, you can't just imitate from a standing start. You have to actually have some pre-existing knowledge and understanding to be a good imitator, let alone carry out new innovations for yourself. So and this, the absorptive capacity, therefore, is the ability of firms and industries to, to make use of new ideas and new technologies that have been developed elsewhere, as well as contribute to innovation yourself. Well, what we found is that high-level skills do matter, of course, but also they, uh, high-skill high people benefit from having people with good uh, intermediate-level skills, technicians and, and, and craft skilled workers, people working with alongside them and, and with them and for them in the, in the companies and, and, and it, it enhances the skills and the performance of the firm for the, for the there be complementarities between the different levels of skill. When it comes to new ideas being implemented on the shop floor in production and manufacturing firms or, or more generally organisation in the services sector, the, 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 the better qualified and skillful and knowledgeable the people are in the, in the, in the, the lower uh, skilled occupations, the, the more they will be able to work with high school people and exchange useful ideas and, and tell the high school people sometimes when they're going wrong, when they, when they don't understand really what's important on the shop floor. In manufacturing plants, it's, it's understanding how machines work when, when you're operating the machines. There are things about the machines which only you know. Yeah. And, if, and if you're told to, to uh, do, do things in a certain yeah. way and you can, you can see that the machine is struggling, it might be breaking down more often, then, then you can pass on that knowledge to, to, the, to, the, to the engineers and, and the managers if they seek out your opinion and don't just ignore you. you know, and, but if and, there's a culture where yes. the boss knows best, yes. then obviously this is lost, this knowledge is lost. Yes. Yeah. And then, then I think it's something we can all understand when, when people are dealing with, if you look at service industries, a lot of customers, the only chance the customers get to say what's going wrong is to talk to the call centre staff, and the call centre staff are, very, are a good example of people mm -hmm. whose skills are not highly rated and they're not highly paid, and, and their work is quite uh, arduous for them. But if, if, there's good channels of, if, they, if there's good channels of communication within the firm whereby customer complaints to the call centre staff are and listened to yeah. and passed on passed and not, on, not yeah. just ignored, mm. that can create a different atmosphere because then the, the call service, the call centre staff that are fed up having to listen to complaints mm. each day, at least they feel that mm. they can pass on the complaints, have them listened to and maybe the problems are taken care of when they don't have to deal with so many angry customers anymore. So it can have those sorts of effects and these, these are all important ways for organisations to function more effectively. Let's hear a final word from Jacob Marston again. I've always been a pessimist. You've always been a pessimist. And that's because I look yeah. at people's behaviour. Uh -huh. and, uh, and yet you and feel quite optimistic on this Yeah, and that's because I was dictated by my results. Uh -huh. uh, I started up uh, very negative in this project. Uh -huh. I was going to prove that this was going to be a disaster in this century. All the last 10 years we would have zero growth. Uh -huh. uh, Income for each individual has not increased in, in most countries, on average, or the median. Uh, now, um, I believe that while that was just a new regime we were entering into, and all the good things has already happened. But when I start thinking about this, the following. First is that um, those who were educated, the big cohorts who went into higher education, 
that just started joining the labor force. And then we have the older workers with no education. They are, they are exiting the labor force. And therefore we get that increasing fraction of the population educated joining the labor force. And that's going to take hold, uh, take, uh, hold in the future. And, and I think that what we're into at the moment, the decline we have seen, or at least the flattening out, the leveling out of the income, um, is a secular decline, it's a temporary decline. People took debt to buy the houses and now they have to pay it back. And that, that definitely has dragged the economy down. Uh, so there have been some forces that have been negative. Uh, but I think that's just the matter of uh, maybe some a decade more, but then we'll go up again. And this is all we've got time for. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you want to listen to more, please subscribe to NISA's podcasts on iTunes or on SoundCloud. And look out for more papers on productivity, growth and innovation on our website at www.nisa.ac.uk. Goodbye.